A quick word before we begin this week's show. The first complete team preview of the 2022 college football season has been published on patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Our UMass preview, which includes over 20 pages and 10,000 words of information about the Minutemen, is available for free to all who download the PDF attached to the post. If you like it and want to access more, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. We plan to publish 132 more team previews in the 200 or so days until the 2022 season kicks off, and they will be available only to our members. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more or to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we're going to be doing our, our brand new head coach draft this year. This is the third annual one that we'll be doing uh, uh, going to work a little bit different. So it's completely in my favor and no, I did not make up those rules. That was all next idea. So um, I also will have less excuses if I'm terrible at this again this year. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, you know, Nick, last week we, um, we start out talking about some head coaching stuff and there's still some stuff going on. Um, you know, Auburn has uh, some stuff going on with Brian Harson. He's uh, apparently taking out the Bobby Petrino school of head coaching, uh, which is very, very strange. Uh, at least those are the rumors that have been going on. Some of his assistants have been leaving. There's been transfers. So we have that looming over us. Then we actually did get coordinators hired at Miami which was uh, nice to finally see because, and they got some good ones too. So we can talk about that in Justin Steele and Josh Gaddis from Michigan. And then we all expected Harbaugh to leave and he went and interviewed with the Vikings. It seemed like a done deal. Everything was good to go. And then he comes back to Michigan and says he's ready to coach again. So, um, it's kind of a weird, we're going to talk about some head coaches today, but it's kind of weird head coaching news, all this right around National Signing Day, too. So um, it was a big week of news. So uh, let's just hear, Nick, what do you think about all of this uh, potential head coach movement that we have going on here? Yeah, so we're definitely taking a little bit of a risk by just deciding to say, you know, screw it, we're going to do the first year head coaching draft today because it seems like uh, since we last spoke, the odds that Brian Harson will be on the field for the 2022 season at Auburn are, are a little less likely. But, uh, you know, he still has a chance maybe to, to get through this. There are some, you know, vocal uh, players. There are some fans who are, are certainly on his side. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the rumors, as you mentioned, a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, it doesn't really make it seem like he's going to be there all that long, even if he does make it to the season. Uh, seems like it's going to be a real awkward situation, and and there's certainly a chance that uh, they find some way to, you know, there, there seems to be, you know, there was a, a really vague 
statement uh, Monday that Auburn put out, said it was, quote, collecting information and uh, also, quote, decisions regarding the future of Auburn and its athletic programs, as always, are made in the interests of our great university and in fairness to all concerned. So I didn't mention, you know, football specifically, didn't mention Harson specifically, but it absolutely was about him. And it sounds like, you know, to me and, and not being an expert, not being real close to the situation there, but uh, collecting information to me seems like, okay, they're, they're looking for some sort of cause uh, to maybe, you know, be able to get out of that 18 point. Definitely sounds like buyout. we're going to fire you if we got a reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, if not, uh, I guess let it be known to some folks who really do want him uh, gone that, that they're going to have to pay up, I guess. So uh, it's, it's all kind of weird. I mean, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people, uh, fell down the rabbit hole on you know Friday night when all this stuff was coming out and there were all these spaces on uh, Twitter and and Instagram stalking and all kinds of stuff. There's there's some <laughs> there's some definite uh, you know interesting uh, pieces to this that we don't necessarily need to to dig into. But one kind of interesting wrinkle I saw today just before we started uh, recording on on Monday afternoon, uh, Derek Mason you know, well-respected defensive coordinator, uh, had a pretty decent year in a lot of ways for uh, Auburn last season. Had, you know, we knew he took the job at Oklahoma State, knew that he left Auburn. And in a lot of ways, you think, okay, that's a, you know, at best a parallel move. But not only did he leave, it, you know, came out today that apparently he took a $400,000 pay cut to leave. Mm. And so that, you know, Again, just sort of reading. got a little NFL money, but uh, yeah, it's still a lot of money to give up. Mason, wait, what? Well, he played in the NFL, is what I'm saying. Like oh, I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, back yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, no, and and he, you know, he was a head coach two years ago and for a while in the SEC, so he's he's got money, but still, that's that's not something you see every day, and it's just a little bit of a sign that he was, I guess, unhappy enough at Auburn. Uh, to to leave that much money on the table is is just an interesting new wrinkle uh, to that story. But um, yeah, the other two following up from from last week, uh, Miami getting Kevin Steele, who rates pretty highly in our defensive coordinator ratings. We don't have uh, our full list of coordinators yet. I've been kind of logging those uh, on a separate set, uh, spreadsheet that that just I've got access to uh, trying to wait until we get all those finalized before, you know, officially running all the updated uh, coordinator ratings. But he, you know, at Auburn, uh, what was it? Two years ago, he was, he was Gus Malzahn's defensive coordinator at Auburn. And, and at that time was a top five uh, DC in our ratings, just produced consistently really, really highly rated units. And uh, he had, Recently taken a job at Maryland, uh, was there for a matter of a few days and, and then uh, leaves to go to Miami. So uh, Steele also has a little bit of a reputation. There's definitely some some weird Auburn stuff uh, with him as well. But, uh, you know, as far as numbers go, as far as producing uh, a history of really strong defenses, he looks like a great hire on paper. So we'll see how that plays out. Josh Gaddis, you know, had a huge, huge year as the offensive coordinator at, at Michigan, was the Bro, uh, Broyles Award winner. Um, and so that is a another interesting piece because it sounds like 
you know, after all the hardball stuff or, or throughout, he was perhaps a little unhappy with how some things shook out there. Yeah. I believe what he said was, uh, something along the lines of, uh, they showed me how they value me, which is not great. Not great, Bob. We'll see. Josh Gaddis does follow us on, on Twitter, by the way. Interesting. We We don't have a whole lot of head coach and offensive coordinators and, and, uh, Big time folks, but but he is one. So uh, if you're listening, Josh, congrats on the new job. But uh, how many points did they he also move be- up in, in the coaching rating once he started following us? Huh? Did he move oh. up a couple points? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I I think I don't remember exactly when it happened, but it was before the uh, 2021 season. So I mean, he's at least become a Royals award winning offensive coordinator. So, you know, I, I take that as a good sign, but uh, kind of what might be a little bit of an under the radar hire that Miami made uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Jamil Day, who was the defensive backs coach at Georgia, uh, actually finished as the number two recruiter in the country in the 2022 cycle. Um, that is according to 247 Sports that just put out a, a list of the top 25, uh, you know, highest graded uh, recruiters, assistant coaches, and he's leaving for Miami and, and he'll replace Tavares Robinson who left for Alabama, who it seemed like uh, might have, you know, potentially ended up at Georgia because he was formerly Will Muschamp's right-hand man. And it's well known as a, just a, an ace recruiter, one of the, one of the best in the business. So uh, interesting, you know, movement certainly won't catch a whole lot of people's eye, but, but that's a big one. Miami, seemed like they were taking some big swings and potentially struck out on some big names for those coordinator jobs and then filling out the rest of the staff. But they're, you know, still they're they're making some big hires. And it's going to be really interesting to me to see how all that uh, shakes out. Uh, And then finally, yeah, Harbaugh, not going to be in the Vikings, but a new there is a new NFL head coach, formerly uh, a Big Ten head coach. Uh, Lovey Smith back as yeah. uh, the head man now in, in Houston. So uh, not the uh, former Big Ten head coach we expected, but uh, hey, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we will. I mean, that if there's a placeholder job in the NFL, uh, I feel like Lovey Smith just took it. You know, it, it that's um, uh, I just don't understand. Dude le- left Illinois and now he's, uh, you know, got fired from Illinois. Now he's a head coach in the NFL again. Uh, different talent levels you're working with there. But uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, coaching carousel, which, you know, seems like it's maybe turning, you know, finally uh, calming down here. But there are some potential bigger moves even after these ones that we just had. So what do you think about uh, the turmoil that we have as far as coaching goes right now? For Nick's sake, I can only hope that it stops. Uh, I, I still remember in the group chat, we I text that Brian Harson looked like he may be out, and, and Nick just hit me with a sigh. I, I think at this point, Nick is like, "Can you guys just figure out your head coaching options, please?" <laughs> this draft totally. is head- like my favorite thing that we do. I don't know why, but <laughs> he just is, wants to do it. I want yeah. to do the draft, right? <laughs> and every week, it's like, "Yeah, this guy may be out because of this situation." And Nick's just like, "Yo." Please come on, push it back twice uh, already. God. This is true, uh, but I, I think you know the Brian Harson situation is definitely on a hot seat. I, I think that if you're Auburn, you're also you also might just be like last year wasn't good enough. Let's let's see, like let's get to a, a reason for you to get to to get going. 
essentially. You know, I've heard that rumor around, which is like, you know, there's there's definitely some things going on at the university, but maybe this is just enough for them to be like, maybe we made the wrong decision last year in a panic decision, which I thought was a panic decision to get Brian Harson in the first place. And they might just be trying to cut their losses in that situation, which would be awful, which for what we talked about uh, as them being so close to spring practice and, and just getting done with the recruiting cycle where they weren't great to begin with. Um, when you when you talk about Jamila Dye going to Miami, that's a huge get. I mean, this is a guy that we all knew was going to leave at Georgia. The fan base was pretty much, uh, you know, detailed on his 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 upbringing and and how well of a, how good of a coach and how, how high regards everybody held him to. And you were almost waiting for the day that he got that call up. We probably didn't expect it to be this soon, but definitely well deserved. Uh, this is a guy that everywhere he's been, his defense and his cornerbacks have gotten better and better and better. And, and you know, this is an, an amazing opportunity under a head coach in Mario Cristobal that's obviously going to 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 uh, give him as many opportunities as possible to show how good he is at uh, at the, at that level. And obviously, if he's able to do it at a school like Miami, great. You know, like this is a school that needs recruiting. This is a team that has struggled in recruiting uh, mightily over the last two, three seasons um, and, and is really attempting to get that swagger and the recruiting back uh, to Miami, which, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves, Miami hasn't had recruiting swagger in a, in, in a good minute, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, recruiting the state of Miami, as they called it in the 30 for 30 special, hasn't necessarily won anything for them recently. Uh, so I, I think that they definitely could uh, use his exploits to, to the best of their ability. And I hope so. Um, honestly, if I'm anybody at Michigan with the whole hardball situation, I don't believe that he's like that this, cause he also said that this is the last time he'll ever try to go for a job in the NFL. Do I buy that? Not necessarily. I'll be completely honest with you. I'm like, yeah, okay. You said that when you came to Michigan anyway, you said that, that you should be, should be calmed down on any of the NFL jobs. I mean, and why the, make a, like a blanket? Like yeah. That. It's so dumb. Exactly. Like, why, why, would, why would you look at that and go, you know, I'm never going to go to the NFL again. And it's like, you never know. You might have another amazing situation to walk into that you might really love. Because when well, let's think about, you know, Scott, we, we follow the NFL pretty closely. And Nick does on occasion. The Vikings job isn't an amazing job to walk into first day. Like, he still would have had to do a hell of a lot of work with that organization. And so you, you really look at it that way. If a team comes a call in that, that's in a warmer weather, you know, in a couple of years, and he's actually you know continued on in michigan and maybe he's won the manager title at this point maybe he's been to the playoff three out of the last five years he may genuinely feel like he's done all he can at michigan and move on to the nfl anyways i thought there was a little bit of uh almost payback in taking that interview to mm -hmm. the university of michigan like making him take the pay cut to keep him last year and all that stuff i felt like there might have been a little bit of that you know, Harbaugh attitude in that move as well, which wouldn't have been shocking. So for him to, to just make a blank, blanket statement like that, I mean, is a little bit eye rolling. But anything for you and me to rip on Harbaugh. Oh, of so course. We'll, we'll we'll take any opportunity. Over under on him wearing so. jeans this season. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how many uh, do you think he eats chicken or uh, avoids it because it's a cowardly animal? You know, like <laughs> the guy just th this is the only guy that I've ever seen make Colin Cowherd look likable. You know, he's the only person. So uh, it's just incredible uh, with the weirdness that Jim Harbaugh lives his life. So he really is. He's his own thing, man. He thinks he's the star of the show. So. And it's so funny because his brother is like not anywhere near like this. Like John is just another. Well, he Kobe. also his brother didn't have the NFL success that John did. So I, I think it's one of those guys that, you know, uh, you know, everyone tells you the the whole life, your whole life that you're the man, 
start to believe it. You know, I think I think that's where that comes from for Harbaugh. But, you know, I'm not a psychologist, obviously. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, and then I'll finish up on kind of the other things that Miami has done. Um, I'll be honest with you. I kind of feel like the Jamila die move is more like a, hey, you're our DB coach for a year or two as we see if this whole Kevin's, you know, the Kevin Steele experiment works again. Like and I talked about this with a friend of mine who we follow the SEC pretty closely. Like, how many times are defensive coordinators who fail in the SEC going to get chances everywhere else in the country? Like, how many <laughs> times is Todd Grantham going to end up on a staff? Like, is it is, is Kevin Steele the new Todd Grantham? You know how Kevin Steele, you know, Todd Grantham was at Georgia, then went to Louisville for a couple of years, and his defense still wasn't all that good. Then he came back and, and was back in the SEC for Florida. Is this a Kevin Steele, like, rehabilitation situation where he goes off to Miami, has a couple of mediocre years, then he ends up at Missouri in a couple of years, and we're like, how do you continue to get jobs when your defenses don't? aren't good whatsoever um i guess you know everybody says the whole i have to to argue with that i mean he's he's had some good defenses uh statistically speaking he's just you know the the way it ended at auburn was weird because of gus and there was like a lot of political stuff behind the that's fair that's scenes where he was apparently reportedly angling for the head coaching job but I mean, those those Auburn defenses, uh, I can – let me see, pull up. Uh, yeah, the – let's see. So in 2016 to 2019, um, and he was he was at Auburn 2016 to 2020 as the defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's, how, here's where Auburn ranked in our uh, defensive team performance rating. So he was responsible for these defenses. Uh, in 2016, 23rd. In 2017, 7th. 2018, 17th, 2019, 10th, 2020, they fell down. They were 74th. But, uh, you know, four out of five years, top 25 teams, two of those top 10 teams. Uh, I mean, they they were some – he had some solid, solid defenses. And prior to that, you know, he was at uh, LSU, had a a good defense there in 2015. He was at Alabama for a while, a couple different times. So, I mean, the the resume is fine. I'm not sure personality-wise, you know, I mean, he, he definitely could be one of those guys where he's at Miami for a year. He's, you know, he starts to bounce around just because he's mm-hmm. kind of worn out his welcome a little bit or, or you know, starts to rub people the wrong way. Um, but at least so far, he's put together a strong resume statistically of, of high-performing defenses. So I, I would argue with that. But I, I – certainly see where you're coming from on he might continue to bounce around or bounce around even more i mean he was at maryland for like two days literally and like <laughs> uh so i mean it 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 uh, uh you know he, he might not be at miami forever he might not even be there this time next year but at least so far he he can coach up a defense pretty well that's fair that's fair and and nick just bought a lot of equity nick just bought a ton of equity from auburn fans just so he can spend another next season. Because everybody knows I'm not the, the greatest Auburn, the biggest Auburn fan on this podcast. For, for Nick to kill me with the stats, he just bought a ton of equity with Auburn University. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, well, I don't think that was the purpose. No, that wasn't but, the point but, of it. I'm yeah, just saying he did. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he did though. Yeah. I mean, anytime, you know, look, uh, you know, we 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 uh jest, we have fun here making fun of things, but uh look, I have no room to to breathe at all. I mean, my my longhorns have been bad for a long time. So you 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 know, uh, Xavier, all the confidence in the world with his dogs coming off a national title here. Fair but enough. uh uh lots of um we'll see we'll see what the you know future holds for some of these head coaches. Doesn't look like Harson's gonna 
make it. If they find one thing, uh, one reason to fire him, they might do it. But we did have um, the signing day. Uh, happen and you know as always texas finishes top five in there but uh who knows how the on-field product uh is going to turn out but nick what what were the big things that you noticed from uh signing day and of course this one used to be the big one and they had the one you know moved to december and now that's the big one but there's still a lot of big moves that happened uh, in, in this signing day. So what were the things that stood out to you? So, uh, you know, the, the last uh, five, six days since uh, signing day, figured everybody for the most part caught up on, you know, who the best classes were and all that good stuff. Texas A&M, greatest class of all time, apparently highest rated. Alabama would be uh, number one in most years based on the way it finished, uh, you know, in, in, as far as the points go and the 247 composite and, and all of that, but Texas A&M was just that much higher. So, uh, you know, I, I, we don't need to, to dig into all of that just class by class, but a few things that I was thinking about or have been thinking about a little bit since, um, you know, signing day has come and gone. One, uh, and I, I, I saw a tweet that said specifically how many uh, power five quarterback signed and I couldn't find it when I was putting the sheet together earlier. So, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe I can, can find it again, uh, soon and, and we can figure out or have some actual numbers behind this, but, but the number of high school, you know, signees overall, it, it's because of the transfer portal. It, it seemingly is going down and specifically the quarterback position. Cause there's so many quarterbacks, uh, transferring, whether it's, you know, from P5 down to G5, if they're, you know, uh, FCS quarterback with success, we've seen those guys come up to FBS on occasion. We see some G5 guys uh, bump up to FBS if they've proven to, to be quality uh, starters and other programs needing a, a quarterback. So, you know, it, it's interesting to me that uh, on the one hand, people are so concerned, oh, with the transfer portal, you know, we're, we're basically seeing uh, G5 programs, you know, be treated in a way like minor league uh, power five programs. And, and there is a little bit of a concern there that, yeah, you know, you, you get a good player. Uh, he comes out, has a great freshman year, sophomore year, whatever, and then might want to, you know, move up to a more prestigious program or power conference, what have you. And so there's some concern that you're going to end up losing uh, guys like that. But I'm kind of thinking of it a little bit on the other end of things where now, you know, instead of what, a hundred quarterbacks signing with power five programs, or it's probably fewer than that, right? I mean, there's 65 of them. So let's say there's 75 guys. If, if the rare occasion, they take two quarterbacks in one class. Um, and now maybe the number's 40, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't have the specific number in front of me, but that means that there's you know, a couple dozen guys at least that would have been power five signees who now are going either, you know, signing with a group of five school, maybe going to junior college. Um, so I, I think in some ways we're actually going to see more guys slipping through the cracks, but have an opportunity to, to go to a place and, and really excel like a guy that we wouldn't maybe have expected to start as a true freshman, but because, you know, uh, 
Georgia State or Southern Miss or uh, Tulane or what have you, you know, might be able to sign a guy that would have been out of their league a little bit, uh, you know, a few years ago because of the transfer portal. And yeah, they might end up, you know, if that guy really blows up, there's a there's a chance they could lose that uh, player eventually. But I, I, I wonder if some ways and using the quarterback is sort of the main example, but it's happening, I'm sure, at other position groups as well well uh that that in some ways some of the you know group of five schools or maybe even fcs schools uh junior colleges are going to get their hands on some higher caliber of players than they would have otherwise so you know we'll see how that all plays out of course and in a lot of ways the transfer portal has sort of de-emphasized or at least lowered the stakes of national signing day and the two you know signing periods for first-year head coaches who will spend most of our time uh, today talking about because you know there there was a real issue it seemed like with some guys um, the first that comes to mind is Willie Taggart at Florida State who you know didn't get like every first year head coach didn't get to build that first class you know fully didn't get the full calendar to do it ended up in some ways closing strong but it, the way it seems to me at least somewhat anecdotally is the guys, a larger percentage, not every guy, but but there seem to be some, you know, four-star guys who aren't signed in February who you think, okay, you know, that that's going to be a big, you know, huge uh, splash for somebody to make on the traditional signing day. Well, it seemed to me that, that you know, maybe at Florida State a few years ago, and, and there are probably some other, uh, you know, in the years since, some of those guys aren't signed for a reason. Maybe they're a little overrated. Maybe they've got some academic stuff, some off the field stuff that's going to impact their ability to actually, you know, make it to uh, Saturdays in the fall. And and so maybe there's a little bit of a higher risk with that, uh, you know, type of player. And maybe you, you know, have more misses than you normally would because there's some pressure as a first year head coach. Okay. I've got to get, you know, can't let this be a lost class. Well now, I mean, you know, we saw USC, they landed a, a few high, really, really highly rated guys, but just, a, a, you know, I think they had single digits in their total class under Lincoln Riley. And a few years ago, we were talking about, man, USC is, is, uh, finishing so low in, in the rankings, what's going on? They're 65th in the uh, the official ratings right now in, in 247 Sports. But because they landed Caleb Williams, because they landed you know a handful of other Power Five transfers, there's less uh, you know sense of urgency in some ways, and, and USC probably is going to be in a bit of a, a better situation uh, going the transfer portal in year one getting guys to, you know, play a year or two uh, and then really be able to turn your attention to the, you know, 2023 class and, and uh, put it up, you know, get back into putting top 10, top five classes. It's just kind of an interesting thing to me that, that things are changing so much where in some cases, you know, the transfer portal uh, looks like a real curse for some of these lower level schools, but it might actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise and then, you know, the, the first year head coaches, which are top of mind for me today, being, uh, you know, because of the transfer portal. And this isn't any, you know, huge revelation. I'm sure a lot of people realize. Uh, but it, it in some ways it's going to help these these, uh, you know, first time head coaches a lot to not have to 
uh, worry about getting that you know lost class or a, a class there where you end up taking some risks and missing on some guys uh, in that first you know that that first big class, the first big thing a lot of these guys do in their new job is have that announce that signing day class. So just you know aside from the rankings and who did you know who finished where and who signed where, just a couple of thoughts that you know have occurred to me in the last week or so. Xavier, what do you notice from signing day? You're, uh, you, I know you're always following along real hardcore here. Uh, this is, do you think this is the best class ever from the Aggies here? Oh, that's not even close. I, it's not even close. I, there, there are very few classes that I would even hold to this caliber. Uh, this is a team that got multiple guys in the top 10. Not even there's a top 20, top 10. I uh, got the 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 second best player in the country in Walter Nolan, got the best linebacker in the country in Harold Perkins, uh, who actually flipped and went to LSU. And so that's without him. You know, that this so this is a class that could have even gotten better because Harold Perkins was a AM commit up until about two or three weeks ago where he decided to decommit and reopen his uh his visiting. So this is a class that could have really finished. I mean, if they would have brought in a guy like Harold Perkins and, and maybe one other top five recruit or five-star recruit, this is, this is probably would have been maybe one of the best classes we would have ever seen, period. You know, they brought in seven five-stars, and they might bring in an eighth. Uh, they just had a, a guy from the 2023 class, the number one player in the country, re, uh, reclassified the 2022, and his top five is out, and A&M is one of them. Um, so there we go. That is, you know, that is one of the best classes possible, um, you know, and some of the guys even are, are what might even end up moving uh, into their, you know, the top 25 for uh, their class when all of this is said and done because 247, I believe, I don't know if they've put up their final, final rankings. They do, they, they go back and they do like a last final ranking with some of the time, some kids move up and down they, and, and like things like that. Like Connor Wegman, one of the quarterbacks that they signed was a four star all the way up until like three or four days before signing day, which he then was, became a five star. So like, this is, this is a class that could very well be even that much better. Um, so when, when we're talking about this A&M class, that is amazing from uh, Jimbo in this year. Um, as far as every, the, the, everybody else, some of the things that really stood out to me on signing day or in signing in general was the SEC continues to dominate, uh, having nine teams in the top uh, 25 this year uh, finishing. I mean, you guys, you guys have guys like Missouri finishing 14th in the country, Kentucky finished 13th, uh, all ahead of some of the, you know, some of the powers at be uh, a, a concerning side for me was how the Pac-12 panned out this year. Uh, the Pac-12 U of A with the number two class there. Yeah. And a yeah, top 25 just, class, too. That exactly. was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just a really weird year for the Pac-12. Stanford finished with the number one class in the Pac-12, ranked 17th in the country. Arizona, as you alluded to, uh, ranked second in, the, in there. Um, but then the next closest is Utah at 38. Then after that, it just kind of drops off of a cliff. Uh, you've got uh, four uh, the, the rest of the conference outside of Colorado who finished 47th. That's four teams in the top 50. Everybody else finished 50 or below. Like it is, it was just a rough year. Washington had one of the worst classes that they've ever had. Uh, UCLA finished 57th. Oregon State finished 55th. Cal 59th. It was just a really rough year for the Pac-12 as a whole. I think, you know, and USC will obviously be the headline there, like Nick was talking about, but they were able to go into the transfer portal and really hit that hard. So I think theirs is a little bit much, is too much, it's a little bit more of a misnomer uh, than anything. Um, Cincinnati continues the, the hot uh, play on the field and turns that into a pretty good recruiting class, finishing 42nd this year. Um, they were one of the two G5 teams to finish in the top 50, along with Houston, who brought in a 49th class this year. So 
it, it was it was a good day. Uh, we didn't have too many crazy switches. Harold Perkins, uh, the number one rated linebacker in the country, was kind of the weirdest one. As not only did he he committed to LSU, which he flipped from Texas A and M, but he dragged on his his uh he dragged it out probably like four or five hours. This was a guy who was supposed to commit at like one fifteen that day, ended up committing <laughs> at like five thirty. Everybody was like, and it's so funny. It's a tough and decision. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but it's so funny because ever since Travis Hunter flipped to Jackson State, anytime a top kid takes his time, everybody was like, he's going to Jackson State. Like that was kind of like Twitter's entire consensus. As soon as he was like, I'm going to push back my recruiting another three hours, they're like, oh, that Dion's working on another bar stool deal. He's going to be, he's going to be at Jackson State. Uh, they're shipping a hat to his house right now. Be prepared for everybody to, to be pissed off about this one. Uh, so it, it was funny how now, since obviously the number one kid in the class uh, flipped to Jackson State, how many other people everybody was expecting to do the same thing. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good day. Not as it, it's lost some of his luster due to the fact of early signing day, but still, it's one of those days that you know the, for the top schools they fill out the rest of their classes, and for more of the middle schools in the country, it's still a very important day because a lot of their kids don't sign on early signing day. They do a lot of their good work um, on sign uh, on the the still signing day. Um, and, and a quick shout out. To, uh, to Vanderbilt, who finished 32nd, but brought yeah. in almost 30 commits this year. This is a team that they, they, the overhaul was real uh, for, for, for this roster this year, bringing in 28 commits and a couple of transfers. So they brought in a, 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 a nice amount of kids uh, in, in this first class. So uh, a quick shout out to Vanderbilt that, that I think is having one of their better classes uh, in, in a while. So they finished 49th the previous year, and now they, fin- they finished 32nd. So Kudos to Vandy, who, who brought in a, a four-star for what feels like the first time in a long time, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a fun day for sure. Love seeing another top five, uh, you know, class for my Longhorns. Like I said, two five-star yep. offensive linemen uh, improved on uh, the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, guys to match with some of that talent they have at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So, uh, we'll see if it all pans out. I've been waiting for years for it to, to pan <laughs> out, but, uh, you know, we'll see. It's always a fun day, like you said, but uh, let's get into it. The meat of this show is going to be our uh, first year head coach draft. So I'm going to pass the baton to Nick to kind of explain how we're going to do it, um, how the scoring works and uh, all that good stuff. So Nick, take it away for the first year head coach draft. Yeah. So like I said, this is, one of my favorite things that we do uh, kind of stole the idea from a, a baseball podcast that uh, I've listened to for a long time. They would do a minor league free agent draft that, you know, it's kind of obscure names, but had a lot of fun with it. And uh, so we've dabbled with it a little bit and I think landed on a, a pretty good score system. You might've heard us talk about it a week or two ago when we were recapping our 2021 draft, but for, uh, each pick, you get one point for every win that that head coach uh, oversees during the, the 2022 season. You get two points for every win that improves upon uh, that team's previous record, but you lose one point uh, if that head coach you know comes up short of uh, you know the, the the previous regime. If if the record goes in the wrong direction could end up end up uh, losing points. But like we mentioned, 
last week, our top scorer in 2021 was Blake Anderson, 31 points because he took over a win team, won 11 games, so ended up with you know what 20 extra uh, points because of an improvement uh, in addition to just those 11 wins, so that's 31 total. Uh, our lowest scoring head coach was Butch Jones, took over a four and seven team went two and 10. And uh, so ended up, you know, getting four points for for each of those wins, but lost two points for each of those two wins going in the wrong direction, ended up with zero. I just so happened to draft both of those guys. scoring. Fortunately, Blake Anderson pretty much single-handedly took me to victory. So I will actually be drafting last uh, this year, and and this is the the big change that that uh, Scott was alluding to is uh, in in part you know going back to the the uh, idea that that we stole it from they actually and this is effectively wild is my my favorite baseball podcast uh, they don't do a snake draft and so I know that's we have done a snake draft the last two years and I know you know. Uh, the the fantasy folks out there are probably would uh, uh, I don't know spit at me for uh, saying <laughs> that we're not doing a, a snake draft. That seems to be kind of a you know uh, you you must do it. But uh, Xavier yeah, and I put we're up just going to keep it before the show in part sure. because so everybody knows and I understand. Uh, Xavier, I Xavier understand. and I were uh, not uh, we, we play fantasy. We were not uh, interested in this. But but this is look. Nick's running the show here. So, and he's won, I think, both times. So I'm up. No, for Xavier won. Xavier Everybody has won except for Scott. And, oh, great. And almost, yeah. he, he almost did it. He was most consistent last year. I just happened to hit big with, with uh, Anderson. But, uh, but yeah, because the way we do it, and it's, you know, it's not high stakes. We're just having fun here. But uh, because with just the three of us doing a snake, you have to talk about two guys back to back. I think it actually would benefit our listeners more so just to to hear the, you know, we talk about one guy at a time, then move on to the next. And it gives the next person up a little extra time to, uh, you know, if they want to make a last minute decision, do some last minute research, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, so we will start with Scott will get the first pick. He'll also get the fourth pick because we'll go Scott, Xavier, then me, just based on last year's record. And again, last year, uh, I won 63 points. Uh, Xavier finished second with 58 and Scott finished in third, uh, with a, uh, redacted amount of points. Yeah. Yeah. Not many, not many. <laughs> so, uh, look, uh, I, I got the number one pick here, so it, it's tough not to just go straight to like a two win team, right? Joe Moorhead taking over at Akron, Jim Mora, uh, taking over at UConn, um, Mike McIntyre taking over at FIU. Like you, you're, you know, you're not going to lose points. Don Brown at UMass. Uh, you're not going to lose many points because, you know, the, they're almost assured to get you a, at least a one or a zero, right? Because they're going to get a couple wins. And I mean, it's real hard to be worse than they were last year, but, I'm going to go with a four and eight team last year. And one of my new favorite head coaches in college football, give me Lincoln Riley as that number one pick four and eight. Uh, USC was last year, uh, ripped apart Oklahoma on his way out, took their best player too. 
uh, one of my new favorite coaches for sure. So Lincoln Riley is going to be my number one overall pick. So uh, with that, I will pass the torch to who's up. Who's up to? Is it Nick up to or Xavier oh, oh, up to? It's Xavier. Yeah. Okay. So so Xavier is up uh, first. So uh, who's it going to be, Xavier? So if you're going to take my what would have been my first pick, I'm going to stay in the same conference. Um, I think that this guy, I, I absolutely love the fact that they were able to bring in Michael Penix this year. Um, I think that that fixes a, a large issue at the University of Washington uh, with Kalen DeBoer. I, I think that that fixes a lot of issues with their offense that I think what they won't have this year. It gives them a brand new dynamic offensively because he's not only a, a pretty decent passer, but he also can be an athlete and run the football. And this has been a Washington team that has had to lean on their run game over the last couple of years with Dylan Morris at quarterback. Nick was very, very high on Washington going into last year, uh, uh, going into last year. And I think that that team returns a lot of talent. Nick can obviously tell me if I'm wrong or right in that situation, but I know who they don't return. That's not going to be Dylan Morris at quarterback. I love Washington in this situation. I think this is a team that can flip their record and go from four and eight to eight and four, which obviously would help me out uh, vastly. And when you look at their schedule, they really have a lot of their hardest games are on the road. But even if they lose their hardest games on the road, this is still a team that can go eight and four next year uh, at the absolute worst, in my personal opinion. So let's go with Washington. Let's go dogs in another way. All right. Uh, uh, DeBoer for uh, Xavier, pick number two. And Nick, you are up for your first pick. So I, I also would have gone with. Uh, Lincoln Riley, I I like that you said he's he's your uh, one of your new favorite, <laughs> new favorite head, head coaches. coaches. You yeah, that's right. One of my new favorite the, head coaches, right? Uh, of the uh, heel turn that uh, that Lincoln Riley has done in recent months, I, I understand that, and and I agree. I think both of you guys, uh, I, I can't I can't argue much with uh, the first two picks. I definitely think there's room for improvement on both teams. Both teams are much more talented than. Uh, the record that they put up last year, and you would think would be uh, taking a step in the right direction. I'm of a, of a similar mind, and yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely room for improvement with this team. I think it's pretty clear that uh, you know it, it was a little bit of a weird uh, head coaching hire. There's there's already been a few hiccups, um, some perhaps embarrassing or cringy moments. Uh, but you know, Brian Kelly has won mm. everywhere he's been. He's, he's got 263 career wins. He's taking over a pretty talented roster. I know they've got a lot of turnover. Uh, you know, they, they certainly lost a, a bunch of talented guys, uh, prior to him, you know, even getting there, but, you know, losing, uh, multiple starters in the secondary, a big chunk of a really talented defense is going to be off to the NFL. I'm really, I think I might be more concerned about the LSU offensive line than I am any unit in the country that comes to mind, at least at this early stage uh, of the process of, of kind of filtering through all the you know personnel updates and, and uh, getting all the rosters updated and everything there. He's going to have to do some, continue to do some work and and they've made a couple of additions on uh the offensive line in the transfer portal they've really made a lot of uh additions in the secondary so i think that actually could end up being a bit of a, a strength maybe even though they lost you know Derek stingley to the nfl cordell flott uh darren evans but those guys are, are off to the their pro career eli ricks transferred to alabama i mean those are those are some huge huge losses 
but they were able to bring in multiple starters, uh, former starters from Arkansas. They were able to bring in, uh, you know, uh, some some uh, guys that are going to play big roles from Louisiana. Some guys coming up from the FCS ranks. It's a really they're they're thinking outside of the box. It seems uh, at LSU trying to to rebuild this roster, and they're still some talent left over to, to be able to work with. So I know Brian Kelly is, you know, people are, are laughing at him <laughs> right now and I understand, uh, but he's, he's a pretty good coach and grades out really, really highly in our head coach ratings always has, and, and has, you know, done some, uh, done some decent job, some, some decent work in the transfer portal. So, pardon me. Uh, so I, I would probably take Riley number one, uh, but I, you know, I think Brian Kelly is, is, uh, in my opinion, the, the second best option here. I, I, I like Xavier's pick. I think Kalen DeBoer is going to, to really pay off on the offense. Uh, but I think LSU is just in a, a little bit better position to ra- win right away. So I'm happy that, that Kelly fell to me. All right. Well now with the new structure, I'm back up. So I will go ahead and uh, I'm going to stick in the SEC and I'm going to take Billy Napier going over to Florida. Florida finished six and seven last season. Uh, Napier with an overall head coaching record of 40 and 12, uh, an outstanding coach. There's too much talent at Florida for them to be an under 500 team uh, two years in a row. When you look at the schedule, I think, you know, your guaranteed losses are probably Georgia and Texas A&M, especially because they they're coming back to back and that second game, they have to go on the road the Texas A&M for other than that, I don't know that there's a game that they can't win on the schedule. Utah in the opener. I think they're better than Utah and then Kentucky, USF, Tennessee, Eastern Washington, Missouri. Then they play LSU. Then they get a bye week going into that Georgia game, which is nice for them. Still think they're going to lose that one, of course, but then A&M and then they finish off with South Carolina, Vandy and Florida state. I have, um, I can totally see th- this being a 10, 11 win team. So uh, give me Billy Napier, at Florida, because I think they have a lot of talent and he's a very, very good head coach. So uh, that's where I'm going to go with my second pick. So Xavier, you're up for number two, my friend. Oh, thanks. I think he was going to follow the tour. I-, I really appreciate this. Uh, Clay Helton, Georgia Southern. Yeah, I-, I might absolutely loathe the Georgia Southern Eagles when it comes to them playing Georgia State. But what I do know is that program does not stay down for long. Uh, just if history repeats itself, the last time Georgia State had a losing season of this magnitude was 2017. They went two and ten. The very next year, they finished ten and three. Uh, they've only had three losing seasons total since joining the FBS level. This is not a team. This is not a school that consistently stays down. Uh, also, the Sun Belt is one of the most volatile conferences. Period. Uh, when it comes to teams going up and down, uh, so this is a very a very open conference, especially when you look at the fact that Billy Napier is gone. You really think it may be App State's conference to lose going the next year. Uh, Coastal Carolina is going to have to replace a lot of talent. Uh, but more so than anything, the middle of that conference is wide open, as it always is. So whoever decides to play above their weight class, last year was a team like Georgia State that, that played uh, well above their weight to get to a bowl game. It may be Georgia Southern next year. You just really never know uh, with a team like that. Also, they have a really, uh, I think, a really winnable 
off uh, non-conference schedule. They get Morgan State, which should be a win. Uh, they play at Nebraska and at UAB. I think all of those are possibly winnable games. They also play Ball State at home, which is, I think is a winnable game as well. When you look at that conference or when you look at the teams that they have to play, I think Nebraska is probably the only one that you pencil in immediately know, maybe UAB as well. But if that means they go two and two in conference, hell, they're only one way win away uh, from, from you know matching last year's total. I also think Clay Hilton is going to give them an actual identity on offense. I think that was the, the, the biggest issue that they had over the last couple of years is that they didn't have a true identity on offense. This was a team that obviously has been transitioning from the triple option that they ran for God knows how long, um, you know, into more of an, uh, of a spread type air raid type offense. And I think that they took them a little bit longer than they wanted to for one and two, I don't think they did it correctly. I think they still were trying to keep in some of the triple option ideas that they had beforehand. I think Clay Hilton comes in there right away. And for all that we know went wrong with Clay Hilton um, at USC, I think this is still a guy who can still coach. Uh, and I mean, he's starting from, you know, well on the bottom of, uh, I won't say the bottom of the, the barrel, but to go from Los Angeles to Statesboro had to be a culture shock for him. Just saying, like, hey, you just went from from beaches and palm trees to cotton fields. Like, it is going to be a complete difference uh, down there. It's going to be football twenty four seven for him, uh, and I think he wants this job to go well. I mean, to an extent, he needs it to go well to get to back to where he was. Uh, so, I like Georgia Southern a lot. I think this is a team that easily uh, wins bare minimum five games, bare minimum. All right, Nick, you are up for your second pick. Who's it going to be? And uh, Georgia Southern signed a four-star running back. You guys see that? Uh, interesting interesting there and mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. interesting transfers too. So uh, I, I, I like that. I'm going with uh, Sonny Dykes at TCU. Um, and this is, you know, uh, still room for improvement, a team that, uh, underachieved its talent profile last year. Sonny Dykes has, uh, you know, a, a pretty strong head coaching track record. Has been at three programs prior. Was winning at SMU. Uh, is yeah, I'm not sure if I, I doubt he he moved. You know, <laughs> he he moved from Fort Worth to or from Dallas. Uh, to Fort Worth, I, I bet he probably, uh, you know, just just takes a different route to work now. So um, that could you know, be an hour good. difference. You've ever been? It to could Dallas, be. Fort Worth. It could be. Uh, but well, hopefully, hopefully he uh, he lived in the middle. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll see. He, he might have lived in Fort Worth anyway. Who knows? Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think this TCU team is. Uh, uh, pretty talented. We we weren't super high on them last year. They were uh, spent most of the off season in I want to say the the uh, high thirties, low forties in our power ratings, and then ended up finishing sixty seventh. But part of that is because uh, the quarterback position. They had some injuries. They ended up uh, making a move to uh, Chandler Morris late, and, and so that position, just the way it grades out, because we had both Max Duggan and Chandler Morris listed as starters right now, uh, fell about 10 points in our uh, position ratings just because, you know, the the drop there, um, uh, the difference between the two guys. They also, of course, lost Zach Evans. They're going to have to replace, uh, you know, they've had some transfers on defense that, that make me a tiny bit concerned, but I think that, you know, there's enough coming back. I feel like they have a quarterback. Not sure if it's going to be Doug or Morris, you know, quite yet, but whoever steps in should be able to put up some pretty big numbers based on the offenses that we've seen from Sonny Dykes recently. And then Quentin Johnston is one of the 
most athletic, uh, you know, most physically gifted wide receivers in the country, in my opinion. I mean, a six four guy um, has had some huge, huge games. Uh, also struggled to stay healthy a little bit last year, but uh, I think is you know future pro and and uh, has the potential to be a very, very productive wide receiver. And then, you know, again, this is a, a, a team that has a better roster profile overall than its power ranking would indicate. They ranked 36th in overall roster strength at the end of last season. That's 30 spots ahead of what they ended up finishing uh, in our power rankings based on their team performance, finished 94th last year. And I just have to think that this is a program that they're going to they're going to move forward. They're going to take a step forward in the record. The non-conference games are winnable. Colorado, Tarleton State, SMU, uh, and then they get Oklahoma at home in the Big 12 opener. I think that's a pretty, you know, if you're if you're going to pencil in Oklahoma on the schedule, I think that's probably where you would want them with a first year head coach themselves. So I think there's a, a chance that they could end up knocking off the Sooners and then really start to roll. Uh, not sure that they will actually contend for the Big 12 title, but, you know, that little piece of scheduling uh, info, you know, I, I think that that's about as good of a, a spot that you could hope for to maybe, you know, pull off an upset there. So I like TCU to, you know, get back to a bowl game, winning record, uh, at least eight wins, something in, in that range, just off the top of my head. And that should, you know, put together a, a nice double digit uh, point performance the way we grade things for Sunny Dykes. I like it. Uh, I like it. Uh, for my next pick here, I'm going to go with uh, a safe pick. I think this, uh, you know, head coach is going to get a ton of wins, but his team did last year too. So in the scoring system, I may even lose a couple points if uh, Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman don't get back to 11 and two, but just looking at the Notre Dame schedule, they got a tough one in the opener. They open up at Ohio state, real tough game, obviously uh, September 3rd. After that, I don't know. Clemson on November 5th is tough. And then USC to finish off November 26th is tough. Outside of that, they play Boston College, Navy, Syracuse, UNLV, Stanford, BYU, North Carolina with a new quarterback, uh, California, and Marshall. So I think those are all very winnable games. Obviously, he made a huge impression to keep this job at Notre Dame in the small amount of time that he was given uh, this team. And I think that they're going to respond. And I really like Marcus Freeman. And I think he's going to be a nice floor for points for me in this contest. So give me Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame and Xavier, you are up for your next pick. Who's it going to be? This is my most ballsy selection so far. Uh, this could either go really, really well, or I could lose points here. Um, I'm going to go with Mike Elko at Duke. Uh, this is a three and nine ball club that in my opinion when I, when I look at the ACC, I think that the, the cream rises to the top again. I think these, there's a lot of good teams that could obviously make a run for the ACC championship. But what I don't, what I also think happens, I think the middle gets a little bit more murkier this year. We talk about Virginia, which is obviously on the schedule. Brand new head coach who might get picked up here soon. Virginia Tech, brand new head coach as well with Brent Pry there. I think you you look at a conference that, as far as the middle is concerned, there's a little bit more of a flux. And once again, this Duke team doesn't have to be great. They just have to be five and seven for me to get points here. This six and six would be amazing. Uh, you know, if they made if they went seven and five, great job, right? Like this, this, this is a team that doesn't have to do much. And when you look at their non-conference schedule as well, this is a team that should be three and one when they get done with their non-conference schedule. You know, uh, Temple, I think they should win that ball game. 
at Northwestern, I think is a loss. North Carolina A&T should be a win. And then at Kansas. This is a team that could very well be 3-1 and one after their non-conference schedule is over. And they will win. Book it. They will win at least two ACC games this year. I can't speak on anything more than that. But I, I think at Georgia Tech is a very winnable game. They get both Virginia and Virginia Tech at home this year. Uh, you know, they do have to go play at Pitt, which will obviously be a, a tough game. But when I, when I look at the, the, the teams on their schedule, I genuinely only see three or four guaranteed losses, and that's at Pitt, Wake Forest, um, at Miami, and probably and at Northwestern. Everything else, everything else, I genuinely think that they can compete in. They may not win those games, uh, like, but I think they can compete with North Carolina without Sam Howell being there, depending on how that offense looks with the brand new quarterback at the helm. I think Duke has an opportunity to at least win five games this year, and they may surprise us and do a little bit better than that in Mike Elko's first year. All right, Nick, Mike Elko off the board. So you are up for pick number nine overall. Who's it going to be? So I I almost uh, selected this head coach uh, last round and, and similar thought process, you know, uh, talented roster, uh, mediocre record, but I think, you know, will be an improved uh, record and, and certainly – you know, could make a run if if they uh, you know tough schedule. There are some some uh, you know some things that I would hope were switched around a little bit. Some real tough uh, road trips and and things like that. But I I think that Miami could be you know an eight or nine win team next year. Get up to double digits, and then if things really start to uh, you know they they really pick up some momentum. The, the schedule early on, there's there's definitely an opportunity. I mean, three out of four uh, non-conference games, you would think you could pencil in as wins. Bethune-Cookman to open Southern Miss on September 10th. They go to Texas A&M, which obviously you don't love. Texas A&M is probably going to be a you know top 10, maybe even top five team at that point. Uh, but then Middle Tennessee the following week, I like that they get the bye before opening up ACC play. There are some tough ones there at Virginia Tech, tough place to play at Clemson, of course, not ideal. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this I think nine wins. Legitimate goal and eight wins would be a little bit of an improvement. But one thing that kind of draws me a little bit to Miami and, and I think Miami, I think Mario Cristobal, I should say, you know, will raise the talent level there uh miami has has consistently put together talented rosters um but i think they kind of fall that mix they're one of the programs that we you know lump together a lot with usc and texas in the past where they just haven't quite capitalized on that talent um but cristobal is is a you know big time recruiter really helped elevate oregon's recruiting game in recent years i feel like the city's building at miami is you know, they're going to get going recruiting wise. I think they're not done in the transfer portal this cycle, but they've already added uh, some interesting pieces. Frank Ladson from Clemson, Henry Parrish from Ole Miss, uh, you know, a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball, Jacob Lichtenstein from USC, Antonio Moultrie, real intriguing uh, player, edge rusher from UAB. But there, you know, are plenty of guys from South Florida who, went away for the first year or two from school might want to come back i think uh could potentially fill a couple of holes you know during spring practice 
with guys like that as well. But the big thing, the offensive line has been the major issue for Miami for years. Smalls and all, former offensive lineman, uh, coached the offensive line for a long time and produced some pretty good offensive lines specifically at Oregon last year. They finished number five in our O-line performance rating. So, you know, Miami has to replace a, a couple of starters, but they built at least a long list of guys. You know, they, they brought in transfers from other places. They, uh, you know, have, have certainly recruited offensive line over and over because they've, uh, one, because you have to, but two, because it's been such a, an issue. I feel like Miami actually finally, you know, could just step forward uh, coaching-wise with a guy who is you know, been a long-time offensive line uh, coach stepping in as the head coach. I, th- I feel like that unit in particular has the biggest room for improvement and could, uh, you know, make a, a big improvement. They finished 110th in our O-line performance rating last season. You cut that in half, and then Miami, I think, uh, going to be a factor in in the ACC Coastal. Tyler Van Dyke had a great second half of the year at quarterback, stepping in for Derek King. I know a lot of folks are really excited about him. Has replaced a lot of you know his, his uh, top two rated receivers. The way we uh, stack them up are, are gone. Cameron Harris, running back, is gone. Jalen Knight is back. Plus, you know the transfers as I mentioned coming in. So I, I feel like. With Van Dyke, you've got somebody to build around with an offensive line that hopefully finally will be improved, even though the schedule is tough, especially with some uh, you know, premium matchups on the road. I still think that that this is a team that could win eight or nine games, get into a bowl game, maybe make a run at double digits. Uh, and then I think in the future, you know, we'll be set up pretty well. But I think this first year has an opportunity at least to get me to double digit points. Mario Cristobal at Miami. Uh, for for my uh, next pick here, I'm going to go with uh, Dan Lanning. Um, look, uh, Oregon has a pretty good schedule for him taking over here, and obviously did a great job at Georgia with the defense. And you know, outside of the very first game, which is a you know, I'm going to throw up air quotes. It is a neutral site game, but it's against Georgia in Atlanta in the Mercedes Benz Dome. So that's a Georgia home game, right? So that's a tough one. But other than that, this Pac-12 schedule kind of lines up for them. They're playing uh, uh, Utah at the very end of the year uh, in Eugene. They're playing Washington in Eugene. Um, They are playing, you know, some of these easy games on the road. They're playing at Cal, at U of A, uh, at Washington State, which is a tougher game. Uh, They get BYU in Oregon. So some of their tougher games are at home. Some of their easier games are on the road, which I really like. Plus, this team is already good. This is another kind of high uh, floor pick for me. I know I'm going to get a decent amount of points. Are they going to end up being 10-4 and four again or somewhere in that range? I hope so. Uh, and, you know, playing a Pac-12 schedule, I think, lends towards that too. So, obviously, bringing in Bo Nix, um, losing Kayvon Thibodeau on defense, They're losing uh, some big pieces, bringing in uh, some big pieces as well. So, it is a transfer time uh, a transition time, excuse me, for this program, but I think Lanning is going to be able to do it as seamless as possible. So I'm going to take uh, Dan Lanning of Oregon uh, with my fourth pick. So Xavier, you are up for your fourth. Who is it going to be? Yeah, I I had a real tough time with this one. I'll be honest with you. I, I felt like yes, we have a ton of coaches here, uh, but I, I just had a tough time, you know, 
coming to a conclusion on how I, if I wanted to go with one of the big names like you guys were, were doing, or if I wanted to continue with my with my theory, and, and that's go low and hope high. And I'm gonna continue with that theory. Let's go Sonny Cumbie at Louisiana Tech. Uh, this is a guy who I think, once again, is going to carry over an offense that works at that level. I, I think that he's going to try to get Louisiana Tech back to the days where they were had an explosive offense, i.e. the Louisiana Tech team that took, uh, what was it, Texas A&M and, and Johnny Manziel down to the down to the wire, you know, due to an explosive offense that they were able to, that they were able to uh, put together. I think that that's what Sonny Cumbie is going to try to do down there. He was able to do some of that at Texas Tech. Um, and, and when you look at, you know, Louisiana Tech's non-conference schedule. I really think that they only walk away with one, maybe two wins um, from that. They play Missouri at Missouri, so it's obviously a loss. Stephen F. Austin, that should probably be a win for them, which is also at home. Then at Clemson and at South Alabama, that all kind of depends on how South Alabama is going to look going into next year. Uh, but I think Louisiana Tech is a team that has, an, that if they can get the offense going, which Sonny Cumbie is obviously really good at doing. He's, he's you know, uh, had explosive offenses and pretty much everywhere that he's gone. If Louisiana Tech can get the offense going, this is a very good chance that they can at least, once again, this is, a, like I said, going low, hoping for at the, the bare minimum is four to five wins. And I genuinely think that that's a positive, a possibility. Uh, now, like I said, their non-conference schedule for me, if they go one and three or zero and four, I'm really looking in rough shape there. Uh, but if they can, if they can give me a, a two and two conference schedule, even if non-conference, excuse me, if, even if they give me a, a, a one and three, I think that they can at least get to three wins, which means I wouldn't lose any points at that regard. Uh, so some, in some regards, you, you got to pick these because you know that it's almost impossible that they go negative. Uh, so, and I doubt Sonny Cumbie comes back for, to me next year with a one and eleven record. Because if he does, we're going to have a problem, obviously. And, and so will everybody at Louisiana Tech. Uh, so I, I think this is a team that can win the four to five games at the very least. And Sonny Cumbie is a guy who I think this is right around his uh, his level of, of expertise. He's going to have an opportunity in, 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 a, in a G5 level. You know, after spending those couple of years at the P5, he's going to have a chance at the G5 level to really turn this offense into exactly how he wants to build it. Uh, so I really like what he's got, what he's going to be able to do down there. And, and I like Louisiana Tech to be a team that comes out of the basement this year. All right, Nick, uh, what who are you going to go with here in this spot? Yeah, I, I was probably going to pick Sunday Company. I was really leaning in that direction. So I, I like that pick a lot. Um, I. I feel like this is going out on a limb just a little bit. This first time, first year head coach, uh, that can be risky just in itself. And then also, you know, the bit that he oversaw directly uh, didn't perform very well last year. Uh, Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott took a lot of heat for the way that DJ Uyunglele played and, and uh, you know, really fell short of expectations Virginia doesn't recruit well, you know, is always consistently one of the lower, um, you know, recruiting classes in the ACC and, and you know, in some ways, oftentimes this year included uh, in the Power Five, just often, you know, in the 50s, 60s nationwide. So that's that's not necessarily what I look for in, in these type of situations, but there are two main things that uh, make me think that, you know, Virginia is going to be set up for success. One is Brennan Armstrong, you know, one of the, the uh, max rated quarterbacks in the country, put together 13 production points alone last year. So he's now a 100 rated player in our individual player ratings going into his senior year. 
Uh, he's coming back. He's also expected to uh, bring back you know several of his top options uh, at receiver. Dontavian Wicks, Billy Kemp's caught a lot of balls uh, over the last several years. Keaton Thompson, they did some really, really interesting things with him in the previous regime, moving him around, playing you know quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see what you know sort of things he ends up doing, assuming he is back. I, I believe he will be for his uh, final year of, of eligibility next year uh but you know in some cases when a first year head coach inherits a a pretty good situation um sometimes you just kind of try not to mess up and and so i think that we might see them kind of you know the, the new virginia staff adopt some of the things that made virginia successful last year when or the last few years when they've been one of the most unique offenses in college football. Um, but beyond that, perhaps the the biggest thing, I love the schedule. I, I really, really like the way Virginia's schedule sets up. They host Richmond to start. They go to Illinois in a non-conference game. So that's a winnable road game against a power five team. Uh, they play Old Dominion at home, uh, who certainly you know finished the season strong last year, but I, that should be a win for Virginia. They do play two road games, including a Friday night on the road, which you don't necessarily love. But at Syracuse, you know, that you you could uh, certainly draw up a worse uh, way to open ACC play. It's not a guaranteed win by any stretch, especially considering that their former offensive coordinator is now at Syracuse and knows the personnel real well. But then at Duke, I think, is a winnable game. So when you've got uh, two winnable conference games on the road to open uh, conference play, I feel like, you know, that that's nothing but a good thing. And and then they also do play at Georgia tech mid season also on a weeknight can be tricky, but certainly a winnable game. So like the schedule, like the way it sets up, uh, hopefully they'll be able to put together, you know, five and one, six and two start something along those lines, and then have four straight home games late October, early November, then at Virginia tech to close you know, there's there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule. I would say that there's not any game that is a guaranteed loss uh, for Virginia. So they might only win six, seven, eight, uh, but they have the opportunity to win every game on the schedule, and that includes a pretty tough late-season non-conference game. They'll host Coastal Carolina on November 19th. So uh, certainly there'll be plenty. You know, they'll be underdogs on occasion. They'll have some hairy moments in some, you know, against what looked like on paper some of the weaker teams in the ACC on the road. But I think they'll you know win more often than not, and I think uh, Virginia's got an opportunity to you know get to six, seven, eight wins uh, if things work well and if uh, Brennan Armstrong continues to play at a really, really high level. Could be a really interesting team based on the schedule uh, to make some noise perhaps in the ACC Coastal. Um, I'm, I'm debating on this next pick. We're getting down to the – the nitty gritty here and, and you either have to kind of throw some darts on some guys that uh, some, some coaches on some teams with some low win totals and hope you get just like a couple more uh, and get those two point bonuses, or you kind of have to stick somewhere in the middle here. And I think that's what I'm going to do here. And I'm going to go with uh, Ken Wilson 
uh, of Nevada. And I know there's a lot of turnover going uh, on in Nevada and, uh, you know, especially on the roster with Carson Strong gone, Cole Turner gone, Romeo Dubs gone. They're all gone. And that's a big chunk of what made them good. But also this schedule is just it's a very winnable schedule. They have one for sure game that they're probably going to get stomped by Iowa uh, early in the year. Uh, week four, I believe here. And it's uh, in Iowa City. So, you know, a road game against Iowa is a tough one. Other than that, these are winnable games on uh, the schedule here. Uh, New Mexico State, Texas State, uh, UIW, uh, Air Force, Hawaii, Colorado State. Uh, I think, you know, Fresno State's probably a tough one. San Diego State, San Jose, UNLV, all winnable games. So they can end up with a game, uh, maybe a game better than they were last season. Uh, so that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go uh, with uh, your new Nevada head coach, uh, Ken Wilson. So, Xavier, you are up for your next pick. Uh, Scott's whole monologue made my pick very, very easy. He said, hey, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. You just got to give me a couple of points here. You're no longer a first-round, second-round, third-round draft pick. If you can contribute to this ball club, you're doing a good job, kid. <laughs> give me FIU and Mac Mike, uh, Mike McIntyre. You look at that non-conference schedule. Texas State, UConn, and uh, New Mexico State. They very may, they very well may just win those three games, and that's it. Heck, if they can give me two and one, they did something right. Like I, I'm, I'm genuinely thinking, you know, and I can't find their full schedule. So these are the only three games I could even base that off of, and I'm ecstatic. You know, I, that that got me ecstatic enough to pick them. Obviously, uh, I think this is just solely based off of that that, that three non conference schedule for me is, is enough. Uh, you know, uh, for me to pick Mike McIntyre and FIU, uh, and you know, in his first year, hey, if you 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 finished one and eleven, there's just no way that I'm losing points in this situation. Uh, there's no way that they go zero and twelve, right, guys? Like Nick, tell me I'm making the good decision. There's no <laughs> way they can go zero and twelve next year when you play right. three of the bottom feeders of the FBS. Yeah, no, two picks in a row. You've you've taken guys I was really leaning toward. Because FIU's, you know, for Conference USA, a really talented roster. They have underachieved right so much in the past, you know, two three years uh, that I think I think absolutely they're they're going to have an opportunity to uh, get three four five wins. Conference USA, it seems, is always wide open. I mean, who knows? This could this absolutely could be. It's going to be tough to to you know meet utah state that's that's a turnaround we might not see again for a long long time mm-hmm. but if you're thinking of the most improved team in college football fiu would be on my you know one of the it'd be on a short list of names that come to mind pretty quickly i i i, I really like that. yeah all right nick well with that you're up uh pick number 15 in this draft who are you taking so I'm I'm a little concerned actually that you know Xavier who has a really strong track record in this draft is going with a much different strategy than you and I Scott where he is getting those G5 teams that have that growth ability he's kind of he, he's like a what is it a, a, a venture capitalist where he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mindset. He and, might be buying some crypto here, though. We'll he might, you know, he might. A couple yes. of these might go to zero. <laughs> it's possible, but uh, uh, he might, you know, get that unicorn. I don't know. I, I, 
He, he's got that Matt Damon but, the, uh, the fortune favors the bold. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you, got, you guys hey. got to remember, I'm a Gen Z guy. I'm always thinking about the, the upside. Hey. The volatility doesn't scare I, me. I'm only 25. I like it. And I am not a, I'm not always an early adopter. I wish I were. I sometimes am, am just too stuck in my ways. So I've got four power five. You know, it's harder to win conference games in a, in a power five conference. Uh, so I might end up eating a couple of, of uh, tough scores here, but I kind of, you know, I, I almost have to go to the same well again because Oklahoma is still on the schedule here. Brent Venables was our number one uh, rated defensive coordinator for several years running. And, and so I think that the Oklahoma uh, defense will be improved. I think the offense is not going to take a, a big step back because, you know, hiring Jeff Levy had really, really strong offenses uh, as a, a coordinator at Ole Miss most recently, but then UCF prior to that, they brought in Dylan Gabriel. So I, I think they're going to be able to, you know, score plenty of points. I think that, you know, there it's probably, I don't have the official numbers yet, still probably a month or more away from that. Uh, Texas is probably going to have the highest, uh, like the number one roster strength in the Big 12, but I don't think it's going to be by a whole lot over Oklahoma. Um, so, you know, have to see how that all shakes out, but you know, I feel, feel like the offense is going to be in pretty good hands. Um, you know, the, the offensive line isn't completely decimated. I do have to replace multiple starters there. They are losing talent on defense. Uh, what Pierian Winfrey was the MVP of the senior bowl, right? And he might not, right. you know, might people might not even really know his name because he was uh, an interior defensive lineman on an Oklahoma defense that as Xavier is uh, quick and, and uh, you know, won't fail to mention has been a disappointment in, in recent years, but you're hiring one of the top defensive coordinators, if not the top uh, defensive coordinator in the country. So I think that even though he might have, you know, perhaps a less talented unit, than the Oklahoma defense was last year, there's every possibility that they play at a higher level and actually get more out of their talent, even though they've got to replace guys like Winfrey, like Nick Benito, Brian Osama, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas. Their secondary was a, a major issue, had some depth uh, concerns last year. They're losing multiple starters, multiple safety starters this season. So, you know, it's going to have to rework that defense, but I think that, uh, the offense is, like I said, in pretty good hands. The defense, I think, will have an opportunity to improve. And, you know, getting back to double-digit wins, it's going to be tough to get to 11, absolutely. So this might be, you know, kind of a, a low – it certainly is a low ceiling pick, but I think there's a pretty high floor. And the schedule, you know, not perfect, but uh, there's, there's a, a good chance that Oklahoma – wins nine, 10 games in the regular season, uh, has winnable non-conference games against UTEP, Kent State, and at Nebraska. Uh, and I don't think, I, I think, you know, my, my, my worst case scenario here would be that somehow you get a just disaster six and six type team. And I just don't feel like, I feel like the likelihood of that happening at Oklahoma is very, very slim. I, I feel like even if they do take a small setback, it's not going to be huge. So I'm still going to have an opportunity, eight, nine, maybe 10 points uh, next year with, with uh, Brent Venables as the 15th pick 
in the last pick of the fifth round, and we're going to do what? Two more rounds. We're going to leave some guys on the round. board here. Is that right? Two more rounds. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I. Uh, it, it was getting to the point to where if you didn't take Brent Venables, I was just going to have to take him there. So I'm very happy that that you went ahead and took him. So I just don't have to root for Oklahoma in any uh, capacity this year. But um, I, this is where you know we're getting down uh, to the very end here. So I'm going to throw a dart. I'm just going to say Joe Moorhead is a pretty solid coach. Akron, not a great team. Uh, two and 10 last year, but this leaves a ton of room for improvement for me. So I'm just going to throw a dart at Joe Moorhead and Akron, uh, knowing that they're going to play a max schedule, knowing that they have at least one FCS uh, school to play in their schedule. Uh, I, I keep I keep showing only uh, three games for them. They're not really showing the max schedule quite yet here, but um, uh, I, I'm going to take... Uh, Joe Moorhead and just hope that they can put together a couple more wins. Get me, you know, if they get to four or five wins, now I'm eating up with some uh, uh, double, doubling up some points here. So give me Joe Moorhead of Akron. And with that, Xavier, you're up for your sixth pick. Yeah. Brett Lashley, SMU. I, I think this is a team that, you know, yes, they lose a ton of offensive talent. The names go as they go. Grant Calcaterra, Reggie Roberson, Danny Gray, uh, all going to the draft. But you know what? Tanner Mordecai is still there. Ulysses, uh, Ulysses Bentley is still there. This is still a team that offensively can put together uh, a pretty good offense. And more importantly, I think the AAC as a conference is, as, is wide open next year with, with Cincinnati losing as much talent as they are. I think that maybe Houston is probably your number one team going into the conference next year. Maybe. Uh, but outside of that, I think you, I think Cincinnati could take a step back. And I think that number two team in the conference, which typically has double-digit wins, is going to either be SMU, you know, Cincinnati, or maybe a team like a UCF. Uh, and I think that SMU has an opportunity to make it there. I think this was a team this year that uh, fell short of their ultimate goals, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I think, you know, when you look at how they performed against the bigger teams, I feel like they definitely thought that they would have performed better. Uh, and I really like their non-conference schedule. They play North Texas, uh, Lamar, Maryland and TCU, all games I think they could actually win, to be perfectly honest with you, um, as they do get TCU at home, which is going to be made a massive for them. Um, and, and like I said, I think this is a team that can run the table. They lost teams like Tulsa last year. They lost at Memphis last year. I think they're going to want both of those back if they really think about it. They are in both of those games. They lost by a combined six points. I think they those are two games that they were easily winnable. And, and I think that if they had it, they would have been a 10 and two team last year fighting for that number two team in the conference. You look at their defense, they only lose two guys to the draft uh, this year from that defense last year. And I think that defense is going to get better with another year under their belt uh, and with Rhett Lashley being there. I like SMU to get me the the wins that I need with some of these G5 teams, maybe only getting to five or six wins. I think SMU is a team that gets to maybe nine uh, and possibly gets to that double-digit uh, level, which will obviously help me out because, like I said, a lot of these teams that I've picked so far are a lot of those. Eh, maybe they'll get to five. Maybe they'll get to six kind of teams. So I need a one that maybe gets me to double digits. Uh, all right, Nick, uh, second to last pick. Who's it going to be? I. Uh, I see a couple names here that I'm. I'm just. I want you to make I'm the hoping. case for. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So um, it, this is this is very very interesting. Who's it going to be here? I'm a little surprised that Jay Norvell and Colorado State has has lasted this long. Only three wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Taking you know the the quarterback situation. Some of the that that I think has been my main hesitation. But you know, he he left Nevada for. 
Colorado State and brought with him the quarterback of the future who had been the quarterback of the future at uh, Nevada in Clay Millen. So you would think that you're going to be able to, to insert Millen perhaps as a starter if he doesn't bring in another, you know, guy with uh, major starting experience, brought several of his, you know, offensive weapons from Nevada, Melquan Stovall, Torrey Horton, guys who had, you know, shown some real promise uh, there at Nevada. Going to be a situation not, you know, not exactly the same as what happened at, at uh, Western Kentucky last year, but at least the the same idea of the familiarity with the staff, the offensive coaching staff coming in, going to be able to install, you know, have guys uh, on the field who are well-versed in the system, uh, going to help maybe get everybody else up to speed quicker than you might normally. And he inherits some pretty talented players. Dante Wright was a former All-Mountain West uh, wide receiver, was banged up, you know, quite a bit the last couple of years, um, but has big potential, can do some really interesting things. On offense, I believe David Bailey has another year of eligibility. I'll, I'll have to confirm that. Um, but, you know, that gives you a, a solid option in the run game. I am concerned about the offensive line. They've had four guys transfer out uh, who had starting experience, three guys who had starting experience, and another guy uh, transfer out as well. Plus, they've also got um, – you know, two starters, one of which is, is leaving a, a year of eligibility on the table, one of which is, uh, or excuse me, two others who have run out of eligibility. So that offensive line is going to be a, a total work in progress trying to rebuild that thing You know, through the transfer portal. They've already added multiple guys, Dante Keys from FIU and Dante Bivens uh, from Tulsa. So, you know, they're, they're getting in there and, and trying to figure it all out. But uh, that's my my major concern. And then they're going to have to replace, you know, some some really productive guys on the defensive line as well. So, you know, rebuilding the line of scrimmage makes me a, a little bit nervous, but I think there's enough, you know, playmaking ability and uh, just familiarity with uh, the coaching staff bringing guys in from the transfer portal that, you know, you throw that in with a, a team that has underachieved in the past under Steve Adazio and, and even, you know, under Mike Bubble before that, his last couple of years, this has been consistently one of the, the more talented teams in the Mountain West and should have, you know, won a lot more games than they have the last couple of years. So Jay Norvell, I think, could provide a spark and, and certainly could help them double, you know, that win total, get to a bowl game, get to six wins, and that would be a, a nice solid uh, number for us in, in our scoring system. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised he fell this far, but feel like I got pretty good value there on Jane Norvell and Colorado State. All right, so for my last pick, I mean, I, I'm going back and forth. I just can't decide. I, I'm going to go with a team that had a pretty decent amount of wins last year uh, at 10-3 and three in Fresno State and Jeff Tedford. I mean, I, he doesn't uh, give me a ton of confidence, uh, you know, uh, knowing a little bit about Jeff Tedford, but – they are going to, uh, you know, the, the, the whole weird whatever it was going on with Hayner where he was going to Washington and then he, you know, whatever happened and he had to go back to Fresno State. So he's there. Uh, Jalen Cropper didn't go to the draft. He's staying. He's in there. I thought Jordan Mims did a pretty solid job on offense, uh, replacing Ronnie Rivers as well. The, the schedule isn't great. They do play USC. They are on the road against Boise State. Um, 
but they have some of the other tough games at home. They're going to get, uh, uh, they're going to get San Jose state at home. They're going to get San Diego state at home. They're going to get, um, you know, uh, uh, Oregon state at home as well. So I think this is a winnable schedule. Uh, hopefully they can keep in that same range and get me some points here. So I'll go with Jeff Tedford from Fresno state for my last pick. And Xavier, you're up for your last pick. Who's it going to be? Yeah, this was actually a pretty easy selection. Uh, this is a team that I genuinely felt last year uh, easily could have gone and went eight and four in the Sun Belt. Um, I'm going to go with Troy and John Summerall. I think this is a team for me going five and seven. Uh, easier non-conference schedule, in my opinion, this year. Uh, last year, they had to play Liberty. They also had to go to Southern Miss and had uh, South Carolina last year um, and, and lost a head-scratching one to ULM at the beginning of the year uh, this year. They, they, they get Ole Miss, so obviously that, that's a loss in my book. But they also get Alabama and A&M, I think a Western Kentucky team that's still reeling a bit. And Army at home, which is a winnable game uh, for them, especially when you talk about the defense that they bring back. Uh, you know, they, they bring back one of the better defenses in the Sun Belt, uh, a couple of all-conference guys. And, and more importantly, I just think that this year the, the offense finally takes that turn around the corner that they really needed to last year that they didn't uh, in that second half of the year. You know, they, they played – you know, they lost three of their la- four of their last five, excuse me. When, when you look at the team that they lost to uh, in the four of their last five, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, App, uh, App State, and Georgia State, all four of which with the bowl games, three of which uh, finished with double-digit wins. And, and when you look at it that way, that's a really hellacious schedule lineup. Schedule much easier this year. They don't get that kind of a gauntlet uh, this year at all. Uh, and I think that you, you look at it in that regard and I go, okay, there's a team that could possibly, you know, give me eight wins this year, you know, at the most, I, I think, you know, but a uh, seven and five ball club, I think they reversed their, their, their record. Uh, like I spoke about earlier, uh, there's a team that I think should be three and one out, outside of their non-conference and, and, you know, has an opportunity to, and, and once again, a volatile conference that the top is typically the top, but that middle of the Sun Belt is typically wide open. It's really for whoever wants to take it. Uh, typically from year to year, uh, you're going to have your Louisiana, your, your app state and, uh, your coastal Carolina over the last couple of years, but between ULM, you know, Arkansas state, Louisiana, uh, I'm sorry, app state, uh, Georgia state, Georgia Southern, those teams in that middle, um, you, you're going to have an opportunity there to definitely win games and pick up some wins. And with a pretty easy non-conference schedule, I, I like Troy uh, as my last pick uh, heavy Sunbelt on this, uh, on this podcast. Yeah, definitely <laughs> heavy Sunbelt for me. Yeah. 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 All right, Nick, last pick in the draft. Who's it going to be? So I, on, on, on the one hand, I wish we were, I wish we were going all the way. I gotta be honest, but I, I know we're, I know we're not. And maybe we'll have an opportunity if the Auburn job opens up. Well, maybe we'll I just, do I just a think for a part I think it's funnier. I think it's funnier when we leave guys off and they end up scoring more than the guys that we have. So I, I think that's funny. I understand. I understand. I understand. All right. I'm going to get my, my briefest run through the, the guys that we aren't going to pick. Uh, okay. Jim Moore at UConn, I think is a pretty good, uh, pretty good hire. And there are some winnable games on that schedule. I just, the, the roster is in yeah. a, a state of disrepair. And it's going to take a little while. So even though there's uh, they certainly could win a couple of games next year, um, could maybe even make some progress and get up to four. I, I just I, I I think I'm going to pass on him. Timmy Chang in Hawaii I, again. I really like the hire. I think for the long term health of the program, it was a good hire. 
I'm always a little bit nervous of first time first year head coaches, uh, especially somebody who, you know, just hasn't had a, a big time role yet. And he hasn't been an FCS uh, excuse me, an FBS coordinator. He was an FCS coordinator uh, a, a while ago, but, you know, tough job, all that. I just, I, I think Hawaii might take a little bit of a step back record wise, but I think long-term is going to be good. Louisiana's going to win a lot of games, but just the way we score them, uh, Michael Desermo is, is probably destined for a single digit point total because they're at 13 wins. And the only yeah. way... You know, if they get to 10 wins next year, which would be great, might we might not have anybody else get to 10 wins. Uh, might have one or two. I don't know. Well, there are a ton of these guys. But, um, you know, that would still lose. He'd be at six points, right? Because that'd be three losses fewer than uh, the previous. So I just think he – I think we all probably wrote him off early on. We don't expect a huge drop-off. No value. Awesome big-time guys. But there's yeah. there's no value, no ceiling there, um, so we had to to not go with that. At UMass, Don Brown, they're sort of going back to the future. There, he was a former UMass head coach, was there from 2004 to 2008. Also, you know, was a head coach at Northeastern, which is a program that doesn't exist anymore. You can you can read all my thoughts on UMass. Don Brown, 10,000 words and all of that, please, please do. Uh, but it's it's an interesting hire. You know, there's not a whole lot of, he's not, he's not going to be jumping for a better job next year. He's 66 years old. He's got 11 grandkids. You know, he wants to be there. And that's probably as good as UMass could have hoped for in this past cycle. You know, gets out. He wants to be there. Wants to finish his career there. Also, interesting fact that maybe not a lot of people know: Don Brown has a twenty-six in ten career record as a college baseball head coach. He was a <laughs> he was head coach at Yale for one year. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so there's that. Jerry Kill at New Mexico State. I'm going to be writing about uh, this week. Have been writing about it a little bit. We'll be publishing that soon. Uh, so a little more on that in a little in a bit. Temple. Similar to UConn, I think that, you know, uh, there's some promise there, but the roster has just been so bad the last couple of years that you might need a, a traditional year zero to see some actual growth. And they haven't really brought in a whole lot in the, the transfer portal for me to get excited about a just turnover of the roster like we saw at WKU or like we saw at uh, Utah State mm -hmm. last year. Texas Tech, Joey McGuire, I could, I could repeat a lot of the same things I said about, uh, you know, Timmy Chang, I, I feel like it's a great cultural fit. I feel like Joey McGuire is set up to be uh, in a good position to be a long-term solution at Texas Tech, but I feel like that was a team that kind of maxed out and in some ways overachieved last year, so it's going to be difficult to improve upon it right away, but I think he is about as good of a hire as you really could have hoped for for somebody who's never been a college head coach before. So I, I really like him, but not going to end up picking him. Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, I don't quite know what to – I almost picked him two or three times already. But, uh, you know, Virginia Tech is just – it's uh, they've, they've underachieved recently. The roster numbers, the roster strength has moved in the wrong direction recently. He's a first-time, first-year head coach. That makes me a little bit nervous. But I, I do think that there's certainly potential there that he might be the guy that we wish we would have picked. Uh, but because I think they, you know, are always going to make things interesting. They do have a great home field advantage. 
and, you know, the prize a little bit of an unknown from a head coaching standpoint, but uh, has a solid track record as a defensive coordinator and, and you know, could be maybe somebody we're sleeping on. Washington State is the, the closest equivalent that we've got to Western Kentucky because they are uh, handing their offense over to, uh, you know, a, a former FCS head coach, uh, Incarnate Word head coach, bringing along his quarterback, bringing along a system that was really, really, um, you know, impressive and, and put up some big numbers last year. And, and I think they will, you know, be an exciting team to watch. But I think kind of like I said with Texas State, they were a little bit maxed out last year and might take a small step back record-wise in year one, but still be, a, you know, an interesting team and set up pretty well for the future. But I'm going, and this is a – Kind of similar to what you said about Akron, a, a just a real shot here, and it, you know there might be, it might pay off, it might fall flat on his face. Like I was so invested in UMass last year, right? I think New Mexico State and Jerry Kill is going to be my pick. Uh, it can't get much worse. They went two and ten last year, and Kill is a little bit of a program builder and rebuilder. This will be his sixth college head coaching job. He's always kind of taken over programs in, you know, in need of, of uh, repair. Uh, he uh, was, uh, he's already worked for this athletic director before. So they kind of have a, you know, you would expect a, a good working relationship. They brought in some intriguing uh you know, transfers. I'm not sure what they're going to do at the quarterback position because Jonah Johnson's still in the transfer portal. They lost a lot of their best players, Jawan Price at running back, uh, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. Both those guys actually ended up transferring to Power Five programs. Price is at Syracuse. Uh, Garcia Castaneda has gone to Nebraska. Uh, you know, defensively, they were a mess last year, especially against the pass. But there's some winnable games on the schedule. They've added. Uh, you know, they, they brought in Amante Watkins from TCU, got some carries last year. Um, they've, you know, sprinkled in a few power five transfers here or there, got a, you know, defensive back from Michigan, got, um, you know, they've, they've had some other power five guys in the past. Omari Samuels was running back from Michigan, uh, who was a four-star guy coming out of high school. Dominic Jacito from Missouri was a transfer last year who flashed in week one, but ended up got uh, injured. So, you know, I'm, I'm rambling, of course, but um, I think that Kill's going to be able to just sort of uh, just just sort of raise the floor for New Mexico State and then actually give them a chance to knock off a handful of winnable games. So they play Nevada, who's got so much turnover. They at UTEP, which is a pretty quick trip and a, a team that they match up decently well with, you know, Talent-wise, they host FIU, who you know, kind of forgot how to win football games. Uh, they host New Mexico, always a, a winnable game, at UMass. They beat UMass last year. They play Lamar, an FCS opponent. Liberty doesn't have Malik Willis anymore, and then even lost to ULM with Malik Willis last year. So I'm not saying they're going to win six games, but I'm saying there are a half dozen winnable games. You know, San Jose State took a step in the wrong direction last, last year, so – it's uh, maybe just hoping for the best, but I feel like, you know, New Mexico State get to four wins and I get, you know, four plus four for the, the way we score eight points. feel decent about that in the, uh, 
you know, the, the last pick of, of this edition of the draft. So uh, certainly I don't think I'm going to end up with any negative points here. Like there might not be a real high ceiling necessarily for New Mexico state, but I feel like Jerry kill is going to uh, give, you know, put them on the right uh, path to becoming a respectable program. And perhaps it's just because I've been thinking about New Mexico state for several days in a row, getting that preview <laughs> uh, outlined and, and ready to go. But I, I feel like, this New Mexico State team could surprise just by just taking a, a little bit of a step toward uh, respectability. And, you know, the, the schedule actually sets up decently well. So maybe I'll get lucky and they'll, you know, knock off a, a, a couple of teams that you wouldn't expect. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this edition and the third edition of the uh, head coach first year draft. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we um, we're figuring out a schedule for next week. Uh, we should be back, but there there is we we may skip next week. So, uh, but we will probably be uh, we'll probably be back. Just uh, not on Tuesday uh, next week. If if the show does come out, it will come out later in the week. So, just a scheduling note for all of you listening. But remember, you can follow us all on Twitter. In the meantime, I'm at Bogman Sports. Nick is at CFP Winning Edge. And Xavier is at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. We'll see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.